Philip Sace is here with us, and um, Phil is a Phil is an incredible uh, uh, guitar player, blues rock guitar player. Uh, and your story begins in I guess your what is it? Your bio says you're born in Wales and raised in T.O. Is that right in Toronto? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm kind of curious. You come from a school of blues rock players that I think we're all familiar with. A lot of the 60s and 70s and 80s blues rock players. You come from that generation and stuff like that. I'm curious, who were your early heroes when you were growing up? Well, thanks for asking. And, you know, they're, they're all the same heroes that I that I still uh, look up to today or appreciate, sure. very inspired by today. So people like, you know, uh, listen to Eric Clapton at home, Mark Knopfler, uh, a lot of you know, great blues players like Stevie Ray Vaughan and, and uh, Albert Collins and Freddie King, B.B. King, Albert King, yep. Ry Cooter. Um, I mean, a yep. list of these top shelf players that my parents were cool enough to play their music in the house and it just resonated with me right away. Somewhere in there, your first concert was at Maple Leaf Gardens to see Eric Clapton. Yeah. How cool is that? I wish my parents took me to see Eric Clapton. Jeez. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, what was it, that like? It was really special. You know, I'll never forget it. He actually had Mark Knopfler playing second guitar with him that night. So it was kind of like a double uh, double whammy. Yep. And, uh, you know, um, there's nothing quite like the lights go down, a sold-out arena freaks out, and you hear this guitar playing. That's how Clapton started the show that time. And uh, I was sort of, you know, as a kid, a little kid, and I sort of froze, sort of, what's happening? And yeah. He came out and played this stuff, and I was just mesmerized and uh, didn't know how to play, didn't really understand the, the aspect of playing the instrument, but there was a, a connection, a spiritual and energetic connection. It was that kind of like the moment you said, this is what I want to do, this is the music that I want to follow? 100%. That was Absolutely. it, eh? There was a couple of, couple of moments like that, but that was certainly one of them. When you started to play, what direction did you want to go in? I mean, one thing about blues players is sometimes you want to connect with that, you know, the earliest school of blues, you know what I mean? The, the stuff, the Sonny Boy Williamson's and the Muddy Waters and Willie Dixon and even further back than that. But you seem to connect more to the guys almost in that first school that started to reinterpret all that stuff. Is that, how you, is that where you connected best? I, you know, I think really for me, I, 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 um, I guess you could say yes as yeah. an entry point. So, so to answer the question, yes, the electric blues, yeah. say from the late 40s yeah. when we first started hearing that kind of stuff, um, but certainly uh, any kind of music, whether it's any kind of roots music, I think, whether it's reggae or jazz or uh, it could be polka or metal, it doesn't matter. Whatever it is, if the, if the person performing is uh, wearing their heart on their sleeve, that's really what, what draws me in. It's not about like a technique thing or a scale that someone's learned after playing it a million times. It's more like somebody speaking through the instrument or, or playing what's going on for them on a particular day thing about guitar players is that they tend to be in the background support to somebody else who's singing up front and from what I understand is that your earliest gigs in Toronto were just that you were you were playing with a bunch of other guys like tell me tell me about some of the gigs you played in Toronto when you got started well, when I first, well, I was in high school uh, in Toronto and um, had an opportunity to play with a band uh, a gentleman's name was Nicky B and he had a, a band called Nicky B and the Jammers and they were playing this, this, the scene, you know, and, yeah. and they were a lot of experienced players. They were really good. And uh, he gave me an opportunity to play guitar in his band. Um, so I don't know if I must have been 16 or something. And um, we would play and I would get to school the next day and be exhausted, but <laughs> was kind of getting firsthand experience of, of how to play. And I remember getting my paid $20 one time. I was like, oh, I got paid. I got paid. Wow. You know? So it was, 
you know, just like Billy Gibbons says, just got paid. Yeah, so, you know, I was just thinking about when you said that. Is, is I remember my classmates coming back who were in junior A and junior B hockey teams coming back the next morning exhausted, black and blue and stuff. You come back from playing the blues. It's funny. Um, <laughs> well, you, you play with Jeff Healy for a while. Is this true? That's correct, yeah. How did that, how did that connection start? So I had just started playing around uh, on my own around in Toronto and had a couple of gigs and um, was fortunate enough to, to pick up an opportunity with a record label and was just kind of getting started. And a, a friend of mine named Corey came to a show and we kind of hit it off. And I guess he knew Jeff very, very well. And he mm -hmm. gave Jeff a call and said, there's someone that I'd, I'd like you to hear. And so one night Jeff came out to a show. I didn't know he was there. And all my friends started suddenly halfway through the show started making a say a shitload of noise but yeah it's all right load of noise and i was like wow they, okay what's happening here you know why is everyone going so crazy and then when we took a, a break after the first set a pause you know everyone was like jeff healy was here dude jeff healy was here and i was like you know i you know i freaked out and shortly thereafter we met um just met up in, in kensington market in toronto and sat in at a club and he picked up the bass and he said philip you play the guitar and i was going what you know, so wow. freaked out by this guy that was one of my, you know, biggest heroes. And we came out. He just said, uh, "Hey, I want you, you know, I want you to join my band. We're gonna, we're gonna tour the world, and we're gonna teach you how to, we're gonna groom you. We're gonna teach you how to play on big stages, and then we'll get you ready to go out on your own." Wow. And this is like, this is who he was. So that was kind of like that was this is kind of like a big break, in other words, right? He was uh, a very, very, very generous man. Yeah. Wow. Very thankful. What did you learn? Uh, on that tour when you're out with Jeff and the band as well too what do they teach you well I think uh, the first thing I, I learned was how little I knew because you sit next to somebody well there's nothing like Jeff hearing Jeff Healy play yeah um, and sing and I think it, the first thing I realized was that um, the watermark that he was setting was so high up that it would be a lifetime I mean I was already aware but when you stand in the presence of, of somebody like that it was uh, it was a life-changing experience, life-altering uh, emotionally, physically, spiritually, uh, you know, energetically, the whole thing. And to this day, it's still like, every time I hear him, it's like, okay, well, back to the drawing board. <laughs> you know? it, it, it's, yeah, it's kind of like a certain high watermark you have to kind of reach. Well, yeah, you know, it'd be, it would be like if you were on a line with, uh, you know, who, you know, Wayne Gretzky or something, you're playing hockey, you're just like, what is happening here? Like, yeah. You know. So was, I'm very grateful. Uh, eventually you found your way to L.A. and playing with Melissa Etheridge. Yeah. And given your history, a lot of people say, how Melissa Etheridge, how did that figure into the whole thing? Did that just turned into something that started as a gig and then turned into something bigger or what? So at the time, so I, moved, I relocated to Los Angeles for uh, opportunities for my career. Sure. And, um, and so I immediately started playing with an artist named Uncle Cracker. Yeah. who uh, came out of Kid Rock World yeah. and, and was having some success. And, and they gave me a call and said, you know, Cracker's looking for a guy that can play and sing. And I, I was new in L.A. And I said, oh, that would be cool. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. We went out and toured. Um, one morning I went into a, a guitar store called Westwood Music in, uh, in Los Angeles. And because all the amps were blowing up. Whenever we would go in, we'd do fly-in dates and we'd go in, you'd have rental amps. Yeah. And you'd show up and they'd, blow, they'd explode. And so <laughs> I was, you know, I was, I was, I was in there and... And trying to get the best, it was an amp maker. He's made these amps. They're called Mojave amps, sort of a boutique amp. And I plugged in. It was like Back to the Future, this wall of amps. I'm like, Arr! ten o'clock in the morning, and a guy walks in, and I was playing and sort of noodling, and he just said, "Who are you?" I said, "Philip. Who are you?" He goes, "I'm John." 
he gave me his card and he said, come to my studio later. I said, okay. And it turned out his name is John Shanks and he's like a turbo producer and um, was finishing a record for Melissa Etheridge. And I guess he called Melissa and and then I got a call a couple weeks later and they said, hey, we're, you want to go do some playing with Melissa? And I was like, wow, yeah. You know, I really love Melissa. I think she's one of the best rock and roll singers in the world. And, um, and again, it became a very special kind of mentor-like relationship where she kind of took me under her wing and, and brought me to a lot of incredible opportunities and, and spaces to learn. So we, uh, you know, I just, I just have so much love for her and so much respect and same kind of thing. You know, we'll get you further groomed and then get you on your way. Now, during this whole time, I'm sure you're writing in and in interpreting stuff on your own. And at some point in time, you got to think, hey, I got to do my own stuff. Yeah. What, yeah. Was the, what was the break, you know? So, you know, I had worked with Jeff Healy for about four years, yeah. uh, just under about four years. And then Melissa was a similar thing, about four years. Um, and uh, yeah, I had been writing with people, had been uh, sort of navigating my way through the music industry. And, uh, you know, a lot of people want to tell somebody that, oh, we love what you do. Now just change. And, uh, hmm. you know, I, I, which is anybody who's in a band who's in the industry can tell you that they have experienced that at some point. And um, I'm certainly open to collaborations and open to, you know, trying new things, but I'm also very certain of who I am and what I'm doing. And so, you know, someone like Melissa really gave me a lot of confidence to believe, to be able to, to stick to my guns. Cause that's what she did in her career and same with Jeff. And, um, so it just got to a point where it was like, okay, I had an opportunity to go to, uh, to go to Europe and make some records there. And so I said, Melissa, I love you. I'm going to go do my thing now. And she said, go get them. So we went to Europe for three or four years and made some records and toured and had fun, you know? It's interesting. The blues is, uh, I call it the blues because, I mean, that's the backbone of what you do, yet you're also a rock guitar player. But you know what? Some people would say it's done. It's been done. There, there's not much that anybody can really add to it. Um, and yet I think anybody who plays understands that there is a lot of nuance and uh, a different voice and a different expression. Although it may all sound the same to the passive listener, it's a lot deeper and richer than that. You know, what do you think you bring to it that perhaps your heroes didn't? That's a tough question, but but it's an amazing question. And you know, thanks for raising that. Um, you know, all I can do is is focus on on being the best human being or best person and best person. Um, most refined person that I can be. And my, what my goal and mission is, is, is to try and project that through the music. So the music is really the voice for me to express the things that I'm feeling that I want to say and, um, you know, take the inspiration and take the, uh, the fire and the energy of, let's say, anytime I hear uh, manic depression or if yeah. I hear, you know, dazed and confused or if I hear uh, sunshine of your love or even any, anything. I mean, even, even a track by the weekend, whatever gets my blood pumping. Yeah. Um, you know, I want to take that and put that into the music through my own lens. So that's that's really what I can do. What do you think about guys from who are kind of from your kind of from your own generation? Everybody from Gary Clark Jr. to Derek Trucks and guys like that. Yeah. Do you draw for them at all when you Absolutely. hear their music? Absolutely. Absolutely. I love Gary. I love Derek. Uh, you know, there's so many artists that are turned on by this uh, this music that comes from your core. It comes yep. from the inside. And I think there's room there's room for it all. You know, it's uh I think one of the things that I thought was great is being a fan of this music for a long time and knowing that perhaps it's not 
selling records or concert tickets, perhaps like a lot of popular music is, is that it's being kept alive by guys like, like Clapton with his series of Crossroads concerts. And uh, you found yourself on stage with all of those guys at some point in time. You have to tell me what that was like, because being a relatively new name amongst all those veterans that are upstairs, you must have shit your pants. <laughs> I mean, really. Well, yeah, you could say that. Yeah, it was. It was. I mean, I've <laughs> I've I've seen all those DVDs, and and they're all online, and all the rest. And for those of you who don't know, is is Clapton every once in a while brings together some of the great electric blues players in the world on one stage for a whole a whole weekend yeah. of concert series of concerts, and it's it's transcendent. It's tremendous. And I and I read that you were part of this, and a show was what five years ago or something like that. It was, or, uh, no, or a couple of years ago. Just 2013. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That said, wow, that's that's got to say something, anyways. But tell me what that experience was like. Well, you know, thanks for mentioning it. You know, and, and it, it really was. Uh, first and foremost, it was an honor and a privilege to be there. And what I was aware of in that setting, you know, there were all these everywhere you turned. It was BB King, or it was Robert Cray, or it was you know, or, or wh yeah. whoever all these these incredible players were. Everywhere you turned, there was somebody you were like, oh, I love that person's music. Yeah, but. The thing that I was most aware of was the class that Eric Clapton has. The the what he did there, what what he's doing, what from my perspective, what I saw was bring people together mm -hmm. to raise awareness and to raise money, uh, but but more just this awareness and this uh, to help people that have that have problems for his, you know, at his Crossroads Center yeah. to to help people that have that are struggling um, and that need a hand. And so really, that became bigger than anything. As far as I was concerned, wow. from, from my perspective, bigger than, oh, who was there? Who do you think was your favorite player? Or what? It's like it was so far beyond that. And when when Eric took the stage, it was like there was so much, uh, there was so much energy and positivity and light that he was shedding there, or just sort of sharing, I believe, with everyone. So I really, I really left with that kind of inspired wow. feeling. It was, you were there for a purpose, as it much was, as a jam, right? Oh, it was powerful. It was really beautiful, and I think. It wasn't about me or or anybody else. It was about this this thing to help people that that are down and need need a hand. Yeah. Know? So let's talk about you. You've got a, you got a bunch of records, but the most recent record is something called Influence, and yeah. it uh, I think the album title speaks for what's inside the record. Uh, when it, there's your some of your own stuff, and then there's a lot of covers and stuff like that. Some familiar. Uh, like uh, 10 years after and I'd love to change the world to to other stuff that a lot of people may not be familiar with tell me quickly what was the process of like where do you start picking those songs well yeah thanks for bringing up the influence yeah. record you know I, I made the record primarily with uh, my friend and producer Dave Cobb okay. and we've been working together for a number of years he he's been having some success I think around these parts with like rival sons and mm -hmm. uh, he also does a lot of really badass country records and we just put our heads together and um, you know, we would throw songs back and forth. What about this one? What about that one? And then we'd try it, and maybe if it was right, we'd go with it. If it wasn't the right fit, it's like a like a suit, you know? Yeah. Looks looks great. Yeah. Okay, let's we'll take it. So we just, you know, we and tried to put our own stamp on those songs, you know. And then we added two more for the Canadian release with my friend uh, Michael Nielsen. So that was the canned heat song, and obviously yeah. the Alvin Lee masterpiece. Yeah. Awesome, Philip. A great pleasure to meet you. Dude, thank you. Thanks so for coming. Much. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I was, you know, I had the uh, 97.7 all the time. I, I got it earlier. You did? Okay. Yeah.